Hello, I'm Alex, and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 29. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with Kath and Chris. How are you this evening? Doing all right. Yeah. Doing all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all good. <laughs> we're, we're sort of on tenterhooks at the moment because we're not entirely sure whether Dom is going to pop up magically because bless him, mm-hmm. he's, he's just for the benefits of people listening at home, is Dom is a genius when it comes to kind of audio technology and stuff but sometimes it just never works um so that's what he's been battling this evening uh so he's got a way to try and fix it and then yeah, yeah we all have battles every now and then don't we with audio and zoom and all sorts <laughs> of different things so yeah hopefully we'll see him soon but what's everyone been up to i've been enjoying the snow i had a beautiful walk out in the snow yesterday absolutely glorious so mm. snow and blue sky it was heaven <laughs> absolute heaven yeah. It's, it's the best weather, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I went out for a walk yesterday and the second we left the house, it started blizzarding. And I did think of you, Kath, because I thought, <laughs> I bet Kath would love this. <laughs> <laughs> I was out. Oh, I tell you, at the, over the weekend, I walked along the seafront at Whitley Bay and the sea was amazingly rough and the sand was all in the water, the, that colour when mm. the, the water and the sand get mixed up together. Um, absolutely wonderful Kath Smith walking, walking weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been busy this week actually mm. running some happiness workshops with Yay. the Carers Centre in Newcastle. So um, I ran a, a session with one of their adult carer groups um, and uh this week I've been working with their young carers groups. So it's been really nice talking to all of the different ages, uh, age groups that they've got going on at the carer centre um, and and meeting them and, and talking to them about happiness and things like that. So that's been really nice to do this week. It's kept me busy. Yeah, out, out of trouble. <laughs> yeah, keeps me yeah. out of trouble. Exactly. <laughs> I need keeping out of trouble. We know this. <laughs> Shall we introduce this week's guest interview? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to hand over to Kath because uh, Kath was uh, in charge of this week's interview. Yes, I, I had a lovely hour listening to and talking to Chris Barnard, who's the chief officer of the Usburn Trust. And I've known the Usburn Trust longer than I've known Chris. And that goes back many, many years. So it was a privilege to listen to him talking about his job and a little bit about how he's working at the moment. But then to find out more about the Usburn and what, what they've done in the last year, tremendous year. So here's Chris talking about the Usburn. Good morning, Chris, and welcome to the Geordie Guide to Happiness. We've managed to get another fantastic interview e so i'm really delighted to welcome you to to our podcast could you introduce yourself to everybody please i can good morning uh, my name's chris barnard i'm the chief officer at the usburn trust i'm assuming that you're not actually working in the usburn at the moment I'm not, no. I'm working from home at the moment. We've had an interesting last 12 months, as many people have. We've been in the office, then back home, then back in the office as as guidance changes and we deliver something and then we can't anymore. So it's it's been quite varied. 
<laughs> so we say. Have you taken to working from home? I love it. I, I think it's great. I think it's probably not got a future in its current guise, but I think some sort of hybrid working arrangement going forwards is going to be probably the best set up for a lot of organizations actually mm. it works for me because my day can be so much more flexible i've i've gained two hours of time i would otherwise have spent traveling um which i can kind of reallocate during the day so i can i can change my working day a bit so it, it works well for me are you quite a disciplined person because if i got two extra hours of time i'd still be in my pajamas i am i think yeah i am quite disciplined i'm it's funny, when I was a child, I was appalled at how early my, my father used to get up every morning. <laughs> I think at the age you are, perhaps as a teenager, you, you don't enjoy doing that. But as I've got older, I've found myself following in his footsteps. And I, I like to get up quite early now and, and get working and doing things. So I'm much more productive early on. How do you manage the rest of your time, sort of recreationally or personally? Because you can't work all day, can you? No, no, no. And I mean, I enjoy my sport. I enjoy time with the family. And what I can do currently is have that time when it works for me. So as long as it doesn't impact on the work I've got to do, I'll plan my day to accommodate what I want to fit in. So instead of going for a run at night when it's dark, I can start work at half seven in the morning and then take two hours off in the middle of the day when I haven't got any meetings and, and get some fresh air or or do something that I want to do and then, you know, work later on as well. Have you felt hemmed in at all over lockdown? I think I've been quite fortunate. I'm not, this is going to sound awful, I'm not a, a hugely social person. I, I don't spend a lot of my time going out to pubs or restaurants or uh, socialising with big groups of people. So I guess... I haven't felt the impact of not being able to do those things. I do enjoy going out on my bike and running and, and spending time in the outdoors. And for a large part of the last year, I've actually been able to do all of those things. So that, in a sense, has been great for me. During the, the kind of stricter lockdown measures, where we're not allowed to go far from home, I've struggled with that a bit because I enjoy being out in the middle of nowhere, which obviously, in my mind at least, is is safer than being around the village where hundreds of people are walking about. But nevertheless, I understand uh, the guidelines. But yeah, it's I've had mixed feelings about it. I know you're a cyclist. Would you go away somewhere like Northumberland to go cycling or would you stick local or in ordinary circumstances? Yeah, I, I tend to just cycle from home. So depending on how much time I've got, I'll go out for usually a minimum of an hour. But I used to go out on weekends for the whole day, so um, I could get quite some distance away from home. But I'd tend to just go from here. It's been interesting how many people that we have interviewed who have found uh, cycling and swimming as well as very, very helpful. And if, if they already had that as a hobby some of them have actually branched out into open water swimming so they've they've really enhanced what they've done and that the emotional well-being that they've got from that has been quite staggering so I, I don't know if you would agree with that oh without a doubt yeah I've, I've read a lot of stories of people getting into open water swimming it's it's quite nice to see and and people I know as well absolutely the the well-being I get from it is immeasurable really I, I can certainly tell if, if I'm particularly busy or 
there are some other calls on my time where I don't get to do as much of, you know, the cycling or running or, or whatever else it is I might want to do. I can I can feel it having an impact on my stress levels, perhaps, and uh, ability to manage kind of complex things you have to deal with. So I, I definitely need it as an outlet. Um, and I've kind of learned over the years how to, how to use that as a tool almost to manage everything else that goes on in life. Do you get your creative ideas when you're out? I think I do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I was thinking about this this morning. It's almost almost embarrassing in a way that the, the activity and the sport I like to do is very much on my own. <laughs> I was thinking about all, the, all of those activities I enjoy. None of them are team games or team sports. And I actually think I'm a good team player. <laughs> But, but the sports I enjoy very much are about me being on my own and with my own thoughts. And I think you're right. It, it gives you that space away from the, the busyness of everyday life to just kind of slow down and consider what you need to and, and kind of, yeah, generate ideas. It's basically you're talking to yourself, aren't you? Oh, yeah, sometimes out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've I've done that regularly. I, I've kind of running over the hills in the Lake Districts, chatting away to myself. You know, no headphones on, no no Bluetooth. Just just. I've, I have a mental image now of that. <laughs> That's incredible. So, in ordinary circumstances, you would you would be working in your office in the in the Usburn Valley. Would you like to tell us a bit about the trust? What what the and the Usburn Valley? What is it? What does it represent? Yeah, of course. Um, so the Usburn Valley is about one mile east of Newcastle city centre. It's quite a steep-sided valley. and I like to describe it as being the cradle of the Industrial Revolution in Tyneside. So long before um, Armstrong and you know shipbuilding and the, the traditional industry that we think of as associated with the city. This was back in the kind of 16th, 17th century with bottle making and lead mills and flax mills and kind of cattle imported from uh, Northern Europe. So it's it's got a long history, a long uh, kind of old industrial past. The Usburn Trust was set up 25 years ago now, very much to kind of preserve the historic identity of the place. It had fallen into a bit of disrepair. Uh, a lot of the older buildings were at risk. There was even a fire in one of them in, in the Toffee Factory building in 93, which was work was already happening. But I think that was a catalyst for people to really pull together and say, we've got to do something now or we're going to lose all this stuff. So the trust was formed less around a kind of residential community and more around a, a community of interest around the heritage so the social history as well, because clearly neighbouring communities, their ancestors lived there. It's part of their family and local history. But it was a lot about the buildings, the historic buildings. So the trust was set up to preserve those and to celebrate the local history, really. What was actually functioning at that time? Were, were any of the buildings used? Yeah, I suppose it was probably in the late 70s, the Usburn City Farm, as it was called at the time established. There were artist studios, theatre productions, uh, music, which the Valley's you know, famous for now, was, was emerging. And I mean, the pubs had been there for, for hundreds of years, so the pubs were still operating. It's incredible, isn't it, that it's a heritage site, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been restored 
in this in the same way as Beamish has been. It had the life before the buildings were restored. Yeah. And that's what comes through continually, isn't it? That dynamism. Yeah, I, and I think that's what gives it its unique character. That's what makes it special. It's all these eclectic uses sitting side by side with one another really nurture this unusual culture. Do you think it's a family environment where you, you all work together or you you create within each other's expertise and build on that sort oh, of thing? Oh, without a doubt. It's it's interesting when we talk about the business uses down there. It's really attractive place for businesses to locate. And actually, there's very, very rarely any vacancies in premises for businesses. And it's not because people are looking for an office that could be anywhere. They want to be part of that place. And they buy into a, a culture and contribute to it. And we see that with, with residents and businesses and visitors, that they're kind of buying into a concept and a vision for a place where people work together, you know, as, as you would design a community to work together almost. <laughs> the interview that went out last week uh, in our series was with John Coburn from Seven Stories. It's lovely to have a, nas- a national presence in, in the city and obviously you've you've been part of that as well, haven't we you? We have. It's it's great. I mean, Seven Stories are, a, are an enormous asset for the Valley and, as you say, attract a, a lot of visitors into the place. I think what, what we're keen to do as a trust is retain those visitors and showcase all of the other things they can do as well. So often people will visit the place for one venue or, or the particular interest that they've got not realising all of the other things they could take part in, you know, all the cafes and pubs and live music and the art and the the green spaces as well they can enjoy. And it's about trying to kind of pitch that as a destination, as, as a day out, a bit like Beamish in that sense. There's a lot of work still to be done to, re- to reclaim some of the, the valley as well, though, isn't there, both in its physical environment and opportunities that you've got to to make it more accessible to a wider audience. There, there is. It's it's an interesting challenge as well because there's a lot of work being done on regeneration, but then there are so many examples nationally and internationally where we've seen places gentrified through regeneration, where their character and their identity has been put at risk, and we've lost some of that soul of a place. And what we're really keen to do is not block the regeneration. I don't think we want to be that kind of NIMBY organisation that stops things moving forwards, but we want to shape it in a way that's sensitive and brings about the right outcomes and retains those values and that vision that we've got that's special for people. I'm thinking of... The current situation where people can't get out and about, they've got the, the liberty, they haven't got the liberty to do that. And I had made an assumption, which I think you might say is incorrect, that the valley would be off limit to people at the moment. But that's not quite the case. It, it, it? isn't. No, uh, we've I mean, you'll you'll see in the national press that the industries hit hardest by these lockdowns are hospitality, uh, customer facing activities, often in the heritage sector, but certainly in tourism. What we're trying to do, again, as a trust is generate ideas to support the recovery of those sectors. And the best way to do that is to encourage people to come and visit. So while those places aren't permitted to allow people inside, at least we can encourage people to enjoy a walk through the place, 
along the riverside, through uh, under the bridges and the woodland areas. I mean, it's beautiful for a city centre location. It's the perfect opportunity on your doorstep when you have to stay local to be able to get out for a walk and that that has the potential to support these businesses who can sell takeaway coffees or pieces of art or, or whatever it might be that they're trading. And then that kind of stimulates the economy to get back on its feet again. When we had that beautiful summer last year, did you see that in practice? Were there, were there people coming through the Definitely. valley? Definitely, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was really popular. It was nice to see. I think what, what we were concerned about, though, was some of the pathways are quite narrow. There was little opportunity for some of these businesses to create outdoor space for people to engage with them. So we're trying to think of ways of how we can how we can make it safer for people. We've been working on a, a scheme with the city council around temporary road closures to see if that would actually create, you know, more outdoor space for, for safe enjoyment by the public, in turn helping the businesses. This, this is going to be uh, permanent, isn't it, in the sense of your developmental thinking? There'll be advantages coming out of this for more communities and people to visit when they've got the confidence to see those sorts of things in place, yeah. It's an expansion of your opportunities in some ways, isn't it, to reach more people? I think so, yeah. Um, that's certainly what we want to do. We want to appeal to a wider audience um, who might not have had the opportunity to come down before um, or for whom there might be barriers you know, we want to explore those and kind of delve into it and work out what we can do to remove them. One of the w very well-known activities that, that you do provide to people is the Victoria Tunnel, the, the tours of the Victoria Tunnel. And obviously they they can't happen at the moment. So how have, how have you worked on that? Yeah, you're right. Um, it's It's been a challenge. <laughs> um, of obviously, you know, initially social distancing and and then restrictions on people being able to open were introduced. And running a, a tour for fifteen people in an underground confined space was clearly very high risk. <laughs> um, so that was knocked on the head pretty early. We were we were fortunate in a way. We we managed to access some grant support to mitigate some of that lost income. But then we came up with some idea of trying to deliver that experience virtually through through digital platforms but what we were what we were conscious about was not just giving people a film to watch we wanted to provide something interactive that engaged people that felt like more of an experience more of an event um, so we we worked with historic England and we developed a, an online version of the tour using webinar software where people can engage with it. It's delivered live by one of our tour guides, often in uh, warden uh, outfits from the Second World War or Victorian regalia. or They, they enjoy the dressing up, which is brilliant because it adds to the, the experience. And they've, they've delivered these experiences online, which have been really well received. And we hope have retained our audience and offered them something to keep them keep them engaged, give them something to do while people are struggling to think of what they might do. Um, and we've then expanded those out to schools as well. We usually, in a in a normal year, engage about 70 different schools around the area in Key Stage 3 classroom activity around World War II or the Victorians. 
but obviously they can't come and visit in person. So we've been able to offer question and answer sessions to the schools, uh, to scout groups, to university groups. So that's been that's been worthwhile too. It's it's been rewarding for us because we feel like we're still able to do something. But I think it must it must be nice that people feel they can still engage. You've you've gone online with an, uh, other things as well. I think this is going to become a, a permanent part of your offer. Yeah, it is definitely. We we were actually talking about developing something like this before the pandemic hit because we recognised um, that the tunnel has a series of blast walls that were put in for World War II to prevent the, the blast from the bombs impacting people uh, sheltering in the tunnel. And obviously that presents an access problem for people who might be in a wheelchair uh, or have limited mobility. So we, we were already trying to come up with an idea of how we could make this experience available to people who couldn't couldn't visit the tunnel in person. So actually this this has a long-term application, but we're also looking at developing our talks program online. We're delivering uh, our regeneration walk as an online experience. And these have all been quite well received. And of course, there's the potential not just to deliver these to people in our local area who would have visited, they can be delivered to people anywhere through through the internet, which is great for us and, and great for people who want to broaden their horizons. Going back to the Victoria Tunnel, mm. there there are people who would never have gone into the Victoria Tunnel in person because of perhaps anxiety problems. And do you think you've offered them a, a way of actually seeing what everyone else is is able to see? I hope so. Yeah, that was certainly the intention. Um and it, it's I mean, I was even surprised myself how engaging it was as an experience, because obviously you're not in there. You don't get that sense that you might do in person, but it really does bring it alive. Um, and yes, absolutely. The idea that people who might feel anxious going into an underground space, it can feel, you know, uncomfortable. This is something long term that, that is available for, mm. for those people. I'm working on another project at the moment, and part of that is um, is having drone footage of, of a particular area from the air. The Usburn must be such a spectacular thing to see. It, it is. It's it's. I think it's interesting. We've we've talked about this in the past. It's it's not just about the heritage for heritage sake that we try and encourage people to visit. It's about all of those other experiences you can have in that context. So if you imagine, you know, going out for a coffee with a friend, would you rather sit on the balcony at the farm with those views down across the river underneath three iconic bridges, you know, looking at grade two listed former uh, mills and warehouses? Or would you rather sit inside a chain coffee shop in the city centre? I know where I'd rather be. And it's... It's not. It's not about the coffee, but it. It. It's that context, that setting. So I think that's that's a really good point. Would you Would you like to tell everybody about one of the ideas you've got for a, a coffee shop in a particular unused building, a uh, small building that had a previous use? The the. Do you know which one I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't. I don't. You're gonna. You're gonna have to. <laughs> you're gonna have to spell it out. <laughs> Was it the public convenience? Oh yeah, yeah. So, 
On on the side of the Usburn River itself, just along from Seven Stories, actually, there's still a, a an unused historic building. We've actually described it as a layer cake. If you look at it from across the river, you can see the stone key wall and then a, a, a stone level on top of that and then actually two different ages of brick going up to the second floor. So you can really see the history, literally, in, in the wall of the building. And we're looking to try and redevelop that building and reuse it as a, a facility to engage people with the heritage in the valley. So run run tours from it, uh, engage people with our photographic archive as well. We have 70,000 photographs in an archive um, of the local area. It's kind of buried in the back of an office and we really want to show people it and have, have more people enjoy it. So we, ne we need a suitable space for that. But also next to this site is a, a Victorian toilet block, which doesn't sound particularly appealing on the face of it, but actually what a, what a piece of architecture with all the original tiles. And we, we really want to kind of do something with that. Probably not as a toilet block again, <laughs> probably something a little bit cleaner and more pleasant, but nevertheless, some that, somewhere people could, could go in and, you know, experience. They've, they've made it, they've made a toilet block in Tynemouth into uh, an ice cream parlor. So, but it's bigger. It's bigger than the building you've got. Yeah, and and the one in the the one in the big market as well is fantastic, in in the centre of town. Oh yeah, that's yes, now a wine yes, bar, and it's yeah. it's great. You see, really I can good. always lower the tone of a conversation. <laughs> 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 oh, it it's when you when you go from the riverside up past the past the bridges, and then you. You walk right out into Armstrong country, basically, isn't it? And, and then out into Gosforth. And I, I'm not sure that everybody knows that it's as big as it is. Do, do you feel that's the case? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, the, the, we kind of operate in the lower Oosburn Valley. So right where it meets the Tyne and probably half a mile upstream, roughly. But the... The same river comes all the way from Callerton near Newcastle Airport, um, across farmland, and then eventually down through through Jesmond Dean, which more people will be familiar with. And then beyond Jesmond Dean, beneath Armstrong Park, it's culverted under the city stadium, which was built at the beginning of the 20th century to allow people from further east to travel into the city without dropping down and back up a really steep-sided valley. So the river was culverted and filled over with a rubbish tip and there was a, a sort of rudimentary running track stadium built on the top. So where it emerges out the other end of the culvert is is into the lower Oosburn, where, where they're kind of, it's more industrial, you know, and more urban. That brings us on to, on to some, another aspect of, if you like to call it, well-being, mm. because you've got, you've got a huge natural environment there that is, is that, something you can build on in the future not literally but <laughs> no i was thinking that when you said it without a doubt I, I think it's more important now than ever isn't it that we need to give people these spaces to enjoy for their physical and mental well-being we we run a project with quite a number of volunteers to maintain those green spaces we've got a sort of unofficial arrangement to do it we look after the woodland uh we look after some of the meadow land and, and a lot of those in-between spaces as well that often get forgotten between premises, you know, patches of 
grass and seating areas and uh, flower beds and things like that. For me, it's I think few people know it's there. It's it's a brilliant resource right in the middle of the city, uh, right on people's doorsteps, and it's it's quite idyllic. You can walk through there and not really realise what you're in the middle of. It's it's full of wildlife, all sorts of species of you know flora and fauna. It's it's really quite stunning, and we've we've just sorry just. <laughs> We've just managed to secure a grant as well from the local enterprise partnership working together with Usburn Farm to regenerate the orchard and the pond and some of the seating areas and some of the woodland. So we've we've got a really fortunate to get a, a nice chunk of money to to invest in that area and make it you know more enjoyable for people at, at a critical time, I think. It is a critical time, isn't it? Because sitting sitting here in our mm. remote world and when you're talking about orchards and grass and seating areas, I, I just want to be there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it makes me feel better mm. already. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> me if too. You, if you put a cup of coffee on the table, you'll be even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. I've, I've been kind of flicking through Instagram feeds, looking at pictures of mountains and forests and all these beautiful scenery that people are enjoying on their doorsteps and and on the one hand I was thinking this is making me so jealous I just I want to be there but on the other hand it was almost helping just looking at it so I, I'm kind of torn really but I, I don't at the end at the end think it had a negative impact on me looking at the pictures of it because it made me just think yeah I'll get back there soon and then that'll that'll help not many places can see they've got a farm on the premises. Not at all. No, it goes back a long way, the, the Usburn mm -hmm. farm. And you've got the Stepney Stables as well. Are they still there? They are still mm -hmm. there, yeah. We've got the Stepney Bank Stables. There's some brilliant resources in the valley. It's it's very quirky, and I think that's why people love it. You know, you can you can go and sit in the, in the beer garden of, of the ship inn and watch members of staff walking the goats from the farm past the front door and then somebody's going past on a horse up to the top stables. It's it's so unusual, but it, it just puts a smile on your face. Are you happy in your work? I am, yeah. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I get bored very easily, so I, I really welcome having a job where no two days are the same. You don't know what's going to land on your desk next. <laughs> And I, I like that. I, I quite like change and I like challenge. And I certainly get that. It, it's just so varied. It's it's great in that respect. How's your staff team doing? They're doing well. I think it's, it's, it's always the same, isn't it? People cope with things in different ways. And I think some people enjoy the, the benefits of lockdown. Some would prefer to be in the office. It depends what you're like as a person, perhaps. Um, but everyone's everyone's doing really well, and I mean, as a team, what they've achieved during this lockdown is is enormous, really. You know, in terms of continuing to serve the needs of the people, we you know we we engage in in what we do. So many organisations have been forced to to just shut the doors, really, and kind of hope that it just goes away so they can kind of relaunch again. But at the Trust, the team have been brilliant in, in keeping things going. They're so driven to want to kind of do something to help, which is brilliant. That's what we're there for. Can you think back to a point when lockdown first happened, what your immediate reaction with, with within the team was? What, what was the spirit of it? 
I suppose really just confusion. People thinking it feels like we're in a film. Uh, it, it just felt so unusual and we didn't really know, like like many people, well, how do we react to this? We haven't really got a plan for this. Um, what, you know, what do we do? But there was that that spirit to kind of look after others instead of worrying about what we were going to do. It was, well, how is this impacting them instead and what can we do to support them? So that, that was really nice to get that kind of feedback. And that carried you through? I think so, yeah, yeah. You should be proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely, without a doubt. My memory of it is similar. It utter disbelief. My my building was locked locked down and out, so basically it was leave leave. <laughs> yeah. And it was picking up two or three things like a laptop. Mm. So from there, my team picked up the incentives really as to right, okay, what we're going to do now. And I look back on that time; it it, it could have been make or break, really. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and sadly, it has been for a, a lot of people and a lot of organisations. It's depressing in a sense, isn't it, to to kind of see how many people appear to have been left behind by the kind of national response to this. But equally, uh, kind of nice to see how much people have supported one another and how much community spirit has arisen out of it too. It's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. But It is. And from, from my perspective, looking at the Usburn Trust and everything we've talked about this morning. You've got so much, so much to offer for the for the new future. I hope so. Yeah, we we're certainly not planning on going anywhere. <laughs> we're not we're not going to be beaten that easily. Oh, I think that's a really nice a really nice place to stop. Because <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. I must say that Usburn is one of my happy places for various reasons. I've worked with Osborne Farm. I, I did a bit of research about the engine works, which was at the mouth of the Osborne. So I've always felt just something about it. And if anyone's never been there before, as soon as you get the chance, you've just got to oh, go. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. It, it does. It has that Absolutely. vibe. There's, there's something about it. We've been developing a new strategy for the next 10 years that we want everyone to kind of tell us what their vision is, what, what they really want to see in the place in 10 years. And everybody has just talked about this this Usburnness and this 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 feeling they get that they can't quite put into words. And they're absolutely right. It's there's something about it when you go there that is quite hard to describe, but everybody gets and likes. It would be lovely if you could bottle it, wouldn't it? Or uh... <laughs> it would, it would, yeah. This is this is this is happy. Our happy place, yes. Oz- yeah. Osburnness. You could put that on a beer label. We'll get. I'm sure. We'll get Dominic on to do that because he's our beer person. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> it's just been fabulous to talk to you. To have to for you to spare the time. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's it's. I've enjoyed it. then so that was chris well you all know my feelings about the ooze burn. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is my favourite place in Newcastle for anyone who hasn't listened to episode one, uh, when me and Chris were kind of introducing oh, yeah, Chris back, Thompson, introducing the project way back, wow. way back when um, we kind of talked about our favourite places. And yeah, I was talking about how much I loved the Oosburn for exactly the reasons Chris described in the interview that that quirkiness and that sort of um diversity of its of its history over the years and how it's changed over the centuries in terms of its its uses over over time from somewhere very industrial to somewhere much more you know a, a cultural hub so uh, yeah Here, here's a quick here's a question for you alex <gasps> can you remember a time when we were in newsburn doing digital storytelling training Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you you sent everyone off to do a digital story with an iPad over a part of the Usburn that they could find for themselves. And it was a beautiful day and we all disappeared off into different areas and it was like hog heaven. <laughs> was- <laughs> well, I remember it, it was one of the very first digital storytelling workshops I think I'd done with the iPad. So it was all very experimental. Yeah, it was a great session, wasn't it? Yeah, in Arch 6. Yeah. I can I can remember exactly where, where I stood while I did my practice session. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful place. Yeah. And we've been joined by Dominic. Do we have good Hel- news? Hel- I hope so. Oh, yeah. <gasps> How do yeah. I sound? Yeah, you sound a little good. bit far away, but you're not crackling. <laughs> you're not crackling. More importantly, yes. It looks like we've got four recordings going as well, so that's always good. So Chris was Chris was going to follow on there with a comment about the Usburn, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the Usburn too. It's it's uh, it's almost it's a bit of the city which you could spend a lot of time in, and and, and actually not ever see it and never find it because it's kind of tucked away so when you do find it for the first time you really feel like you're being let in on a secret so all the work that that trust does and kind of keeping it all together and uh, promoting it and stuff is is fantastic i mean i did um uh so when we were talking about photographs earlier uh, and you know he mentioned that when he was when he was talking about sort of um trying to break out of this kind of narrow existence that we all have and, and looking at photographs of places that he kind of wants to go just it kind of made me realize that it's one of the things that i've been doing as well is is kind of going back through old pictures um and spending a lot of time looking at um holiday pictures you know because usually i'm the sort of person that takes loads and loads of pictures and then stores them away and they they sit on a hard drive and you know never ever get seen again but i've actually been going back and having a look at them and saying oh it'd be great to kind of go back there and um so i could i could relate to that yeah, a friend of mine's just um, messaged me to say, uh, you've been to Cornwall in the van, haven't you? Where did you go? Uh, can you recommend any campsites? And I kind of had to go back through my phone to check when it was. And it was back in 2018. And just, yeah, seeing those photos again of, because it was a really hot summer. Mm. And you can imagine down in Cornwall, down at St. Ives and Polzeath where we were staying, Um yeah, it was just really nice looking back through those photos. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Don? What did you think of uh, Chris's interview? Well, I don't know if anybody's already said this, so forgive me if I'm repeating what's been said, but um, there was a moment where he was talking about having a pint outside the ship <laughs> and watching <sighs> the goats and the horses going past. And, you know, and then I expanded on that with, 
the metro going in the distance oh, yeah, yeah. you know the water the boat outside seven stories uh that I one day I'm, I fully plan to pirate and hijack that boat and sail it. <laughs> um, but it was just. Don't tell like, John, or does John know? <laughs> we're, we're in it together. Okay. <laughs> um, well, he's, he's my he is my plant at seven stories. Going to get the keys. Um, oh God, where am I going with this? Yeah, so I was just, I just brought back like a pang. I, like I was close yeah. to tears. I was like, I just want to go for a smelly pint somewhere. <laughs> A quiet old man pint, and where better than in that atmosphere? So it really he was painting pictures with words. Yeah, all those noises going on. That's the that's the thing about yeah. the newsburn. It's just kind of collect noises, collect sounds. And yeah, that's just great. So we we, inv- we invented a new a new phrase during that interview, which was Ousburnness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is going to go down the Bantalo Road, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I was I was interested in the idea of him uh, cycling and talking to himself out loud. Yeah. <laughs> do you have, we all do, do, do it. Do you ever do that, Chris? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, fresh, fresh memories of hell of trying to cycle out of the Usburn. That's always been a bit of a challenge. It's kind of way, it's okay to get into out. it. Yeah, yeah. Up the hill. God. I know, I know. Good cardio that. Oh yeah, that was great. That was that was always kind of the my, my punishment for you know, whenever we had our board meetings down in the uh, down in the Usburn. <laughs> Knowing that at the end of it I was gonna have to kind of engage my thighs and, and kind of get out of there. Was, um, engage your thighs. Yeah. <laughs> Such as they are. As, as you're going up the hill, do you shout, Engage thighs! Yes. <laughs> Sounds like Back to the Future. I, I, I was feeling quite superior during that interview, thinking, I, I know all about the Usburn. And then what, around about the time when the goats came into the conversation, he mentioned the, um, the orchard. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah. where's that? Yeah, I didn't know about it either. Yeah, it was amazing. Incredible. So I'm going to have to go back now and uh, and have a look for it. Yeah. Mm. But they've done a tremendous amount of work to make everything more accessible uh, online as mm-hmm. well. Mm. And I thought the, vic- the work they've done to do a, pres- uh, a presentation on the Victoria Tunnel mm-hmm. is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, so... Thank you, Kath, and thank you, Chris. That was a great interview. I really enjoyed listening to that. And yes, thinking thinking about the wonderful place that is the Usburn. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's that's where we can go. That's where we'll go. Yeah, we'll go yeah. Yeah. Nice drink. <laughs> yeah, drink down the Usburn. Little pub crawl. Team night out. <laughs> If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thegeordieguidetohappiness.co.uk, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geordie Guide, or Facebook, The Geordie Guide to Happiness. And as always, I want to shout out to our funders. This project wouldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank Thank you so much for your support. Next week, we have Steve Dunn joining us, who is Director of Northern Pride. 
we had a really interesting conversation talking about the Northern Pride Festival and LGBTQ plus History Month. So you'll hear me ask Steve questions like this. So you mentioned you've mentioned Northern Pride a couple of times. Um, what's your involvement in it? Can you tell us, you know, for people perhaps who don't know what Northern Pride is, can you just perhaps, you know, tell us a little bit about it? And hear him give answers like this. Yeah, so Northern Pride is um, the Northeast's largest LGBTQ plus uh, charity. Um, we are mainly known for putting on the Northern Pride Festival, which happens in July, um, like many other Pride events across the across the city. They can. The, the country in the world um, but we do a lot of outreach work in the community we support other charities and, and other community groups um, and I suppose my role has evolved over time I've been with the, the group now for about um, coming up six years. So we've reached the end of another episode we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Geordie Guide to Happiness so far take care and see you all again next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.